here. I want to thank you for your hospitality and for your kindness. I am gratefully, gratefully appreciative. And like I said, I'm so happy to be back here with you all, even though it is cold. And when the dude from Michigan is saying it's cold outside, it's cold outside. So um, if you would turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Colossians chapter 2. It's Colossians chapter 2. And if it is possible for you, if you could stand as we read God's Word, it would be wonderful. We're going to be in verses 6 and 7 today. It's only two verses. Last time I preached, I preached an entire chapter. We're just doing two verses today. So, and hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, in these two verses, there is a lot here for us to consider today. Lord, your word here. And so, I ask that you would just use me to speak your We're so thankful that we are able to hear your word preached, that we are able to read your word, that we are able to know what you have to say to us today. So prepare our hearts, Lord. Transform us into, into the likeness of you, Lord. Lord, we, are, we love you, and we ask all things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Jesus, amen. Y'all may be seated. So, a lot of you who have talked to me know that I like talking about my background and where I'm from. And if you ask a lot of my friends, they'll say that he loves telling us about where he's from, people he knew back home. It's just something that I've always loved talking about is my background and where I'm from and the people that have been a part of my life. So I want to tell you a story about somebody that I grew up with. His name was Dan. He's an old buddy of mine. Dan and I grew up from the time we were five years old, and we graduated high school together. We knew each other for years. And we even kept in touch, even though we both went to different colleges. Whenever we were home on break, we would always get together. I began to not walk with the Lord. And the same was true with Dan. Dan, unfortunately, walked away completely from the faith. Now, Dan grew up in a household where both his mother and father were Christ's followers. They raised him in the church. He even went to a Christian school. Christian elementary school, Christian high school. 
Christian college and began to walk away from the faith. See, what happened was after high school, he began listening to a man by the name of Rob Bell. And Rob Bell is a pastor, I say that very loosely, who seemed to be very solid. He's actually, his church was three hours away from where I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And Rob Bell seemed to be very solid, but things started to be slipping through the cracks. And Rob Bell finally wrote a book called Love Wins, which said that God is going to save everybody, whether they believe in him or not. Dan began to be very influenced by Rob Bell. And then Dan just walked away from the faith. God had never let me go, even though I didn't want to walk with him. But through the grace and the Holy Spirit convicting me, and coming back to understanding that I had not been walking with Christ. One day Dan and I got together and I was telling Dan about just how I had been blown away, how I had been reading the scriptures and how God had been transforming my life. And Dan looked at me and said, you really believe that stuff still? I just, I don't believe anything that's in the Bible anymore. I, I just have walked away from it completely. And I was just blown away. Because how could somebody whose parents were so solid in the faith, how could somebody who grew up in a church that preached God's word completely walk away from the faith? And so... Here in Colossians, I started to see maybe this is why Dan completely rejected Christ because he was not walking in him at all. And here Paul about what it means to be a follower of Christ. About what it means to have received Christ as your Savior. And when we neglect the truth that we have been taught from God's Word, it will lead us down a dangerous path. But when we are firmly rooted in walking in Christ, He will guide us and direct us so that we don't fall into heresy. We don't fall into false teaching like my buddy Dan did. So let's see what Paul has to say to the church at Colossae here. And so with apologies to Mark Dever who wrote Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, I want to show you seven marks of a person that's alive in Christ. And look with me at verse 6. And this is the first mark of a person that's alive in Christ. And that first mark is this. 
They have received Jesus Christ. They have received Jesus Christ. Now notice the word therefore at the beginning of verse 6. And that could be therefore or so then. That's an important word. That's a connecting word. Whenever we see words like that, we need to back up and look at what's connecting word is connecting the introduction to Paul's letter to the heart of the letter to the church in Colossae there. And what Paul is doing is Paul is explaining to these people what is correct theology and what is correct Christology, the study of Christ, what we believe about Christ, the doctrine of Christ. He is letting them know what the gospel is. And why is he doing this? He's doing it because the Colossian church has been infected with a false teaching. Someone, some people, have crept their way in to the church there and started teaching a false teaching. They've infiltrated the Colossian church. And the false teachers there are trying to undermine the teaching of Epaphras. Earlier in the chapter, or in the epistle in chapter 1, Paul is talking about the faithfulness of this man named Epaphras. Who was Epaphras? Well, he was the teacher there at the church in Colossae. He was the pastor. He was pastor of First Church of Colossae there. Proclaiming the truth. He had been proclaiming the gospel. In spite of false teachers coming in and saying, no, 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 he's not right. Epaphras kept on. And so Paul has heard about what is going on here, and he's trying to correct it. He's trying to say, no, what Epaphras is saying is true. This is what is right. Paul is doing that all throughout chapter 1. In chapter 115, he basically gives us a breakdown of who Christ is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created. Paul is telling us who Jesus is, that he is God. He is God incarnate. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a man who is inspired by God. He is God. He is God's son, and he has come to this earth. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the, the blood of his cross. And then verse 22, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. This is who Jesus is. 
what Epaphras is preaching is right. What these other people are saying about Christ, about God, that's wrong. And so he's saying here in verse 6 of chapter 2, so then, as you have received Christ, therefore, as you have received Christ, the one who came to save us from our sins, he's transitioning and showing what that looks like. So the first mark of a person that's alive in Christ is that they have received Christ. You cannot be alive in Christ if you have not received Him. And so I want to just point, put that out to you, friends. If you have not received Christ, there is no way that you can be alive in Him. You are dead in your sins. You need to be made alive in Him. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to make you alive. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And so I just want to put that out to you. If you have not received Christ, you cannot be alive. Been dead in Christ. The church in Colossae there, they were at one time dead in their sins, but Christ has made them alive. And so that is the first mark that we see. The people at the church in Colossae are able to know the truth and be transformed by it because they have received Christ as Lord and He has made them alive. That's that first mark. They are alive in Christ. And we move on here to the second mark, and that is this. They walk in Him. It could also be said that they live in Him. Walk in Him, live in Him. I know some of you in here probably love, like I do, John Wayne movies. I love them. My dad loves them too. And his father before him loved them. And so Christmas Day, we were bouncing forth, you know, back and forth between a Christmas story on TBS. My dad can't stand for some reason. I think it reminds him of his childhood or something. I jokingly say that. But Christmas with the Duke on AMC. Because we love John. that they would say about John Wayne. He walked the walk, talked the talk, the Duke. What does that mean, to walk the walk, or to walk in him, or he walked a certain way? Or as some translations say, to live in him there, in verse 6. Well, this is a continual, ongoing thing. It's not like when you get up to take, you know, a quick little half hour walk after dinner. This is a continual, everyday, 24-7 thing. And Paul uses this a lot in his epistles. 
to the churches there. Galatians chapter 5. He commands the Galatians to walk by the Spirit. Romans chapter 14. He tells Romans, walk in love, not grieving your brother. There's a man named Peter O'Brien. He's a theologian. He studies Scripture. Uh, He's one of my main men is what I call it. And he says this, the metaphor for walking used here by Paul is the characterization of the Christian's life and behavior. This characterizes the Christian's life. And so if you are alive in Christ, I have to ask you, what are you walking in? Does it reflect godless ritual? Where you just do your thing every Sunday, Wednesday night maybe, special services? Or is this something that is continual, 24-7. Does your walk reflect a life that's been transformed by Jesus? See, when a person walks in Jesus, their life shows that they are walking in Him, that they've been made alive in Him. So if you've been made alive in Christ, if you have received Christ, walk in Christ. This brings us to our third mark of a person made alive in Christ. Verse 7, look at me. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. And that's the third mark. They are rooted in Christ. I know some of y'all have had experience in construction, heavy machinery, using bobcats and bulldozers. I had one such experience when I was a teenager. It was summertime, and yes, up in Michigan, it can get hot in the summertime. We don't have snow in in July. Uh, It was a very hot day. My mother looked at my dad and said, that bush that's in the front yard, in, in the landscaping in the front, I personally didn't notice it, but my mother sure did. And so that meant dad and I were going outside to get that bush pulled up. We had a truck, V8 engine in it. And dad said, this is how I'm going to get it out. I'm just going to attach chains to the hitch, wrap it around that bush, and then Brandon just punch gas pedal. Well, wrap the chains around the bush. I got in the car, I kept hitting the gas pedal, put it, you know, and I was trying, you know, hitting it. Then I started seeing in front of the truck doing that. My dad was out there, he's like, you know, yelling, turn it off, turn it off, get out, you know, starting, you know, just being a dad, you know, a frustrated dad. And we tried everything. We got our four-wheeler out, we tried the truck, it didn't work. So he said to me, go over to the neighbor's house and tell Pat to come over here. Our neighbor Pat was a plumbing contractor. We had to have our neighbor bring this bobcat over 
to pull this bush out. When he finally got the bush out, and it was even hard for Pat with this bobcat to pull the bush out, the roots were just so long. Looked like they were about an acre long. I mean, it was crazy seeing I swear to my mother, this bush was a very healthy, rooted bush that was in our landscaping. See, Paul has moved from a physical illustration of walking to a botanical illustration here of being rooted. Strong roots are important to the life of a tree or to a plant. Weak roots, they can just easily be pulled up. Think of a weed. Just pull it up easily. See, when we are strongly rooted in Christ, what can pull us up? Satan can't really pull us up. John 10.28, Jesus says, they are mine. The Father has given them to me. No one can snatch them out of my hand. See, when we are rooted in Christ, we are in Him. And the enemy can't snatch us out of His hand. And so that's the third mark of a person alive in Christ. They are rooted in Him. Following that, the fourth mark of a person alive in Christ, also they are in Verse 7, they are built up in Him. Physical of walking to the botanical. And, find, and now he's moving to an image of architecture, construction. Built up in Him. One thing I love is I love old houses. Driving up here from Raleigh, I drove uh, uh, Highway 96, and you go through a town called Oxford, North Carolina. And right there on the main street of Oxford, North Carolina, these big old like bungalow, brick bungalows, colonial houses, just I love those. I used to see them. We would go to my grandparents. We would drive through my parents' old neighborhood in Detroit. Old houses that were built in the early 1900s that still stand the test of time. I love them so much more than the new houses you see, these cookie-cutter spec houses you see in these subdivisions. You know, There's just something about them, the old craftsmanship, the plaster walls that... You're not going to punch your hand through that plaster wall. You're going to break your hand more like it. I think about the parable of the house that's built upon the rock, Matthew chapter 7. See, when you are built up in Christ, what can knock you down? Just like those older houses that are built well, it seems they last forever. I've been built by a master craftsman. See what Paul is saying. 
Christ, we are strong to defend against false teaching. And he's telling the Colossians this. Be built up in Christ. You will be able to withstand this false teaching that has infiltrated the church there. If you're not built up in Christ, it's just like a house built on sand. It's going to knock down. So brothers I want to, and sisters, I want to encourage you, be built up in Christ, just like that old house. And then we move on to the fifth mark. And the fifth mark is this here. Also in verse 7, they are established in the faith. I want to quote another one of my main men, R. Kent Hughes. I love Pastor Hughes, and he says this, to outgrow the basic truth of Christianity is to become post-Christian and pagan. We were sort of talking about this in Sunday school today, about people who have neglected God's word for what seems right. Sometimes it does seem easier. I'm not going to lie. It would seem so much easier to say to a person that's living in sin, no, you're fine. You're not doing anybody any harm. It's all right. But that's not the truth. It's not loving, and it ultimately leads to their death, to separation from God for eternally. Sometimes it seems easier, but it's not. See, when we move to the point where we disregard the truth of Scripture, the tradition of God's church, which is truth, light from God's Word, is below our level of intelligence that we're somehow more developed people than what writers of Scripture that were inspired by God to write His inerrant, inspired Holy Word. We are not established in the faith. There have been many theologians, many educated men, who are very smart. There's one guy not too far from where I live in China named Bart Ehrman who was at one time a born-again Christian, so he says. And then somehow, some way, he completely rejected the truth of Scripture. And every semester, kids Many, many kids, usually their first semester of college, go over there, UNC Chapel Hill, and he begins to feed them lies. Now, education is not wrong. Do not hear me say that whatsoever. Our children and ourselves, we need to be educated and learned people. 
But why? So that we can stand against the lies of the enemy. So we need to be established in the faith. And that's the fifth mark of a person alive in Christ. They are established in the faith. This brings us to the sixth mark. And that is, they have been taught. A person alive in Christ has been taught. Look with me right there. Established in the faith, just as you were taught. How do we know a lot of the things that we know? It's because we've been taught, either by our parents, by the people that have had an impact in our lives, whether that's teachers, whether that's been family friends, it's because we've been taught. I can drive a car because not only did my dad show me how to on country back roads, but I also went to driver's training. I didn't just hop in the car one day and figured it out on my own. See, Paul is commending the teaching of Pastor Epaphras here. He's saying, you have been taught what is true. Epaphras is the man who's been faithful to do that. And this is so important, especially now, in this time where it seems truth is relative, is that we value teaching the truth and teaching the Word of God. There are so many people that are out there that are not teaching the Word of God. I was actually having lunch with just to learn about how he was doing things. I was still in seminary at the time. And he said to me, well, you know, I really don't do expository preaching. I really don't preach from God's word, you know, every single Sunday. I don't even call it preaching. I, I call it giving a talk. And the reason is because there are people who have never cracked open a Bible. And so they, they're not going to be able to understand. So we have to do creative things. We have to play games at church. And we have fun. It's like youth group for adults. And I was just, I, I wanted to like, you know, turn over the tables, you know, and everything like that. And it's not because I think we shouldn't have fun in church. We take ourselves too seriously sometimes in church. And we're just, it looks like we're eating lemons all the time, you know. But there comes a time where we have to be taught God's word. And see, in this time, it's so critical that we are being taught God's word and that we are teaching others God's word. You have a valuable man who's been called by God here, by God's grace, who has been trained to teach you God's word. Record that to yourselves. He is here to equip you so that you can teach other people God's word. Well, who do I teach? The first 
most important people that you can teach. And Now, I'm single. I'm not married. So it sort of sounds contradictory, but I'm a testament to it. First and most important people that you can teach God's word is your children. This is the first and primary people that you should be teaching God's word to is your own children. This is so important. Throughout the history of God's people, they would teach their children what was called the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6.4. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. More importantly, Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way that he will go, and when he is older, he will not depart from it. That's not really guaranteeing that if you just teach your kids God's word, that they're not going to walk away from faith. But I can stand here and say that a big part of the reason that I know the truth word is because Larry and Sheila Watkins were faithful to teach me God's word. So I just want to encourage y'all to teach your kids, to teach your grandkids. I don't mean to steal a line from a Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young song of teach your children. But teach your children and teach your children well in God's word. That's important. Teach your grandkids well. But what if you do if you don't have kids or grandkids? There are plenty of kids around here that need to hear the word of God that need to be taught what it means to believe in Christ, to walk in Christ. I heard a story one time of a pastor whose son walked away completely from the faith. The pastor was a little bit upset with the youth pastor who said, you never spent time with my son. You never would take him out to lunch. He said, I might be a little bit angry over that just because it's my son, but you never took my son out to lunch. You never discipled him. And the youth pastor looked at the pastor and said, well, you're a pastor, and you're his father. Fine. So there's no guarantees. We've all been called to be taught Scripture, and to proclaim scripture. So I want to encourage you all. Teach the children what is truth, what is God's word. But also teach one another. Justin talked about this last week. He was talking about church discipline from uh, Malachi. About how it's to point one another to Christ. It's not to be mean. It's not to be holy rollers, but it's to point one another to Christ. And see, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to encourage one another. Like iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Encourage one another in the Word. Teach one another what you are being taught. And grow in that. 
is so important. And one thing that we have to understand, we think sometimes that the word of God is too small. But let me tell you something, or excuse me, the word of God is too, too big for us, and we're too small. Let me tell you something. If we can learn, can do on a computer, on a MacBook, how to log on to Facebook, if kids can order off of a menu off of Starbucks, my pastor says this all the time, if kids can order off of a menu at Starbucks, they can learn the word of God. Don't think that you have to dumb down scripture for kids and not teach them the word of God, and they just have to have fun all the time. And kids need to have fun. I'm not saying be mean and don't let them have fun. But if kids can order off of a menu of Starbucks and people who are in their 80s and 90s can log into Facebook and read Facebook statuses, they can learn the word of God. It's so important that we are being taught the word of God, that we are being taught the very words of life that give us life the gospel, the truth that transforms our life. As an important mark. But following up with that is the last mark of a person alive in Christ. They are abundant in thanksgiving. They continue to give thanks. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, a good spiritual state results in thanksgiving. Far too many people, even pastors, even deacons, even elders, trustees, people who've been born in the pews of the church, neglect this. They carry themselves arrogantly and with a lack of thanksgiving. Why should we be thankful? Because we've been made alive in Christ. We've been saved by sin. The false teaching that had infiltrated the church there in Colossae, whether that was Gnostic thought, whether that was just some ancient false teaching, you really don't know exactly what the false teaching was other than that it was false. But I will tell you this, the false teaching that was there would not have led to an abundance of thanksgiving by Christ's people. Someone walking in Christ, someone made alive in Christ, is thankful. Why? Because they've been made alive in Christ. They've been saved from their sins. They are a new creation. Does this mean that we continually walk around with a smile on our face, when everything is falling apart around us? No. There are times when we're going to get sad. There are times when we're going to get upset. We shouldn't just ignore that stuff. But there is a difference between someone who is thankful that they have been saved and someone who is not thankful at all. One of the saddest things I ever heard was that a church reviewed a pastor and 
complain that every Sunday he would preach the gospel. That they didn't need to hear the gospel because they were already saved. That is one of the most infuriating things I have ever heard because as a Christ follower, as someone who is a sinner who's been saved by God's grace, I need to hear the gospel. As one pastor, Paul Tripp, says, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. That's how we fight the enemy. is because we preach the gospel to ourselves. We remind ourselves that Christ has saved us from our sin. Nothing that we could do of our own. It is the gift of God lest anyone should boast. But we don't need to hear the gospel because we've already been saved. 50 years ago, I walked the aisle. And friends, that does not save you. Christ saves you. And when Christ saves you, he transforms you. He makes you a new creation that results in a spirit of thanksgiving to where we are glad that we have been saved from our sin. And so I just want to say this in conclusion. Are you walking in Christ? Have you been made alive in Christ? Are you rooted in Him? Are you walking in Him? Have you been taught? Are you teaching others what you have been taught? And are you thankful? And friends, if you have never received Christ, there is no greater time than right now. And I just want to encourage you to give your life to Christ. I want to encourage you to receive him today. To say, make me alive in you, Jesus. Make me a new creation. He will save you. He will make you alive. He will transform you into the marks of a person made alive in Christ. It will reflect in your life. You will grow. I want to encourage you to do that today. And if you have accepted Christ, if you have received Him, but you haven't been walking in Him, you've grown stagnant in your Brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you that you would come today and that you would understand that you haven't been walking with Christ. That you would decide today that since you've been made alive in Christ, that you're going to walk in Him so that your life reflects that, so that others can come to know Him. It's pretty awesome that God has made us alive in him. Nothing that we could do of our own, but that he made us alive in him so that we could walk in him and we could be rooted in him and that we could withstand the enemy. And would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, as we've looked 
at what it looks like to walk in you, to be rooted in you, to be made alive in you, Lord. For those of who are not here, those who are here that don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would just continually draw them to yourself so that they would say, I'm not made alive in Christ. Lord, make me alive in you. For those of us who have not been walking with you, Lord, revive us, Lord, so that we can walk in you, so that others can see what you have done in us. And I thank you for this church. I thank you for Justin his faithfulness to preach your word here, just like Epaphras and Colossae. Continue to strengthen him to proclaim your truth day by day. Lord, may this church continue to proclaim your gospel throughout this valley, throughout this county, to the ends of the earth, Lord. We pray. Lord, you are good. You are gracious. We ask all things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.